Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the PH Nutrition Podcast. My name is Varia and I'm one of the coaches at PH Nutrition. Today, I'm extremely excited to be joined by Nikki Kay, who is a medical doctor, exercise endocrinologist, as well as an honorary lecturer at UCL University, who happens to actually be one of my supervisors during my master's degree at UCL. Today, we're going to be talking about all things related to female health and performance. We're going to be discussing things related to hormones, what they are, how they impact our health and performance. We're also going to be discussing conditions that we commonly see in athletes, such as low energy availability and relative energy deficiency in sport. And we'll also be providing some information and practical guidance as how you can support and manage these if you are experiencing them. Now, I know there's a lot more to Nikki. So what I would like Nikki to do is actually introduce herself. Just give us a bit of a bit of a background as to who you are, what you do for your work and who you typically work with as well. So without further ado, hello, Nikki. Thanks and thanks very much for inviting me on this, Harriet. So, uh, as Harriet says, I'm a medical doctor, but I suppose I should say that I'm really keen about doing exercise, sport and dancing myself. And that's actually what led me into medicine in the very first place, because I was fascinated. I wanted to understand, well, how the body works, yes, but specifically for athletes, dancers, exercisers, what exactly is going on when you train and next you're doing why are you training you're training because you want to improve but it is i i wanted to know why why that works and what happens when it goes wrong what's what's the problem why is someone's training what are they not seeing those performance improvements they are looking for what's going on so that's really why i got into this and hence hormones uh, realized that the answer lies in hormones so that's why I've really focused on that over the last 30 years and done lots of work and clinical work in this area. So you asked me, what do I do sort of clinically day to day? What do I do? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> well, I do a lot of ballet classes, but I also, from a work point of view, uh, I see a lot of athletes. When we say athletes, I should just say that people, sometimes the word that's, some people think, oh, that means an elite athlete. So when I say athlete, I mean that's probably most people. If you're doing exercise intentionally, you're right, you know, I'm going to go and whatever it is, lift some weights, I'm going to run around the park or something, that's, you are an athlete, okay, by definition. So okay. I see lots of uh, athletes and dancers who, uh, because they, they aren't seeing those performance improvements they want or they're just not feeling right. And so that's when they come to see me and often the answer lies in some sort of disruption of the hormones that we're going to go on and discuss. Uh, the other thing I love doing is uh, I love supervising students at UCL uh, because of their enthusiasm, because the only way research gets done uh, is, you know, you've got to have enthusiastic people. I'm enthusiastic, but I can't do everything myself. So uh, so I want to get even more. There's always more to learn. I think that's an important message in life in general. And you think you know it all, then actually that's really worrying sign. So I want to know more. I want to find out more details. And that's where research provides those extra 
um, bits of information and detail. So yeah, there we go. That's me. Fab. No, thank you so much. And it's really interesting to hear like how you initially got into it. And I guess, has there been any, going to put you on the spot here, but has there been like any kind of personal journey that you've experienced as to how you got to the place you are now and what you've, you've actually wanted to do for work? Or is it more just out of a, a general interest in seeing I know, other individuals experience things like low energy availability and, and other conditions such as that? Well, as a youngster, uh, yes, I, of course, then we didn't call it it's relative energy deficiency in sport. You know, but effectively, that's what I had uh, when I was a real youngster, when I was like 10, you know, very early on. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a long time ago, but I remember, I even now, I remember in my mind what it feels like. People are telling you stuff and you're, and, uh, you're stubborn. You think, ah, that can't be right. I know what I'm doing. I, I, you know, tells a bit opinionated, I know. But anyway, so I know what it's like. The, you know, the mind can play strange tricks. And so that's why I hope I'm an empathetic doctor because I can remember what that felt like. And so hopefully give practical advice and understanding to, you know, other athletes and dancers who are going through the same uh, sort of thing. So I guess that did flavor quite a lot of how I've developed a particular interest in, in reds, although it also, like I said, the hormones in general, you know, aside from reds, uh, what's going on. And one of the things I did, I can't remember, some time ago anyway, um, was that I was involved in an international project to develop an anti-doping test for growth hormone athletes. Um, this is not an advert for doping, but by the way, you know, some unscrupulous athletes and coaches know that hormones are key to performance and that's why they dope. And the majority of the doping offences are hormones. Uh, and so uh, doing that study, doing that project over three years at St. Thomas's Hospital in, with lots of other centres, Denmark, Sweden and Italy, you know, I'm actually pretty proud of that work that we did to get an anti-doping test, but also to see from a practical point of view the difficulties from a medical point of view, what are you going to test, et cetera, et cetera, but also the politics to a certain extent of it, uh, you know, that you make a really good test but then actually it turns out the authorities were a little bit scared about applying it because they know that they might going to catch a lot of athletes so anyway so that was also an interesting experience yeah definitely i think it's interesting to see how hormones obviously we know have such a huge impact on our body but don't necessarily always know the impacts that they have i think that leads really nicely into the initial question about hormones so I guess for some of our listeners, it might be something that, you know, we know the word hormone, but we don't necessarily really understand what they are and how they impact our body. So would you mind giving us, uh, you know, a little bit of information about what hormones are and how they impact us? Well, I think probably most people, as you say, have heard the word hormone and maybe some in the recess of your mind from school, chemical messengers in the blood. So that's, that's true. So you can't see them, you can't touch them, which is one of the sort of things about why they're so difficult to understand. But these chemical messengers traveling around in your, in your blood. But to call them a messenger is kind of really doing them a disservice because what they actually do is they're not just carrying a message. They're actually determining how your DNA is expressed. They're determining gene expression and what proteins are made. Isn't that amazing? So you have the blueprint. Everyone knows DNA. That's the blueprint, the instructions of what to do. But who's going to actually read those instructions and which instructions to follow at what time? So, and that is the job of the hormones. So the hormones travel around in the bloodstream. They go into the cell. They go into the nucleus, into the DNA and say, right, we might need some of that muscle protein right now, please. Thanks. You see? So that's what hormones do. And actually, the uh, word hormone when I was doing, I've written a book about hormones just recently. And when I was doing my research, I found out that hormone derives from ancient Greek. I don't know ancient Greek, but apparently it derives from this ancient Greek word, which means setting in motion. I think that pretty much describes what they do. They set in motion your path to health and fitness and all that, all that sort of thing. So that means please treat your hormones nicely. 
and they will work their magic for you. So that's what hormones are. That's an individual level, but the other thing to emphasize is there is a lot of them and they don't all work in conversation. It's a conversation, a network between all the various hormones. And the other thing to point out is uh, that they change, number one, over your life. Of course, you know, the hormones in a 21-year-old are going to be very different to the hormones in an older person like me. So they change over your life. The other thing about hormones is that they are affected by what you do, your behaviors. So they're not just busying themselves inside the body, but they've got half an eye on what you're doing in terms of nutrition, training, and recovery, sleep. And so they will also monitor what's going on on the outside, what you're doing. So this is why I use the expression, harness your hormones. If you treat them nicely, then you're going to harness them. So they will set in motion the things that you want them to do. So you have to support them. But also you have to remember that they will change over your life. So you can't do exactly what you did when you're 21, sadly, anymore. You're going to have to change things as you go through life. And of course, depending on, you know, men and women, difference. I know that sounds obvious to say, but the main difference is the level of testosterone. Women have testosterone, but much less than men. And that is the main difference in terms of athletic performance. That's what determines that difference in athletic performance. So there's a lot of variables going on with your hormones, but trying to get in sync with them and understand them, you know, that's going to be really best for you, for your health and performance. Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, you've raised a really good point there that hormones aren't something we can see, feel or touch, which makes it really hard for us to possibly quite comprehend the uh, how superior they are to our health and performance. And I think that's probably something that we, you know, as individuals, as athletes, as, you know, just anyone find really hard to comprehend. And we know, and you know, based on your research that, you know, having balances in our hormones can significantly impact our performance but also things like our mental health our social health our physical health and perhaps maybe we could talk a little bit about the consequences of hormone imbalances and beyond that so talking specifically here about low energy availability and the impact it might have on the athletes and also how hormones are linked into conditions such as low energy availability so would you mind telling us a little bit about low energy availability and how hormones can also be like interact with that particular condition. Mm-hmm. I prefer to say that actually it's your behaviors are out of balance. Mm-hmm. It's not, no, listen, unless you have a medical condition, the hormones are not out of balance. The hormones, millions of years of evolution, by the way, they will do their thing. They will do what they need to do. But it's when you challenge them and your behaviors, what you do gets out of balance, that is going to really throw a challenge to the hormones. They will do their best, but ultimately, if push comes to shove, then the hormones will become dysregulated. The beautiful clockwork sequence choreography, as I call it, will be disrupted because they just can't cope with what you're doing. And so, for example, what's low energy availability? So, in order to stay alive, we need a lot of energy. We're warm-blooded. So, even just sitting here doing this, uh, you know, this podcast, or you're sitting there listening to this, assuming you're not running or something, if you're just sitting still, you're going to need a lot of energy just to stay alive, keep all your processes ticking over to stay alive. Uh, so that's the first thing to say. We're quite sort of energy hungry as mammals. And where do we get this energy from? Our food, of course. But if you're doing exercise, movement is actually prioritized. Because it's from evolution. Because if you see a saber-toothed tiger, you need to run away. So that's why energy is prioritized. So when you eat your food, uh, if you're going to go and do some training, exercise, whatever it is, I'm going to go for a bite ride, hopefully, because it cleared up, for example. I'm going to, that energy I have eaten at breakfast, that's going to be used to cover my training, my cycling around the park. Okay? And the energy, if you do your maths, what's left over, so breakfast minus energy for cycling around the park, whatever is left over, that is what's called energy availability. So that's available to keep the body ticking over. So usually, you know, in and out, it, the demands are met. That's, that's not, it's fine. But how do you end up in low energy availability? One of two ways. Either 
you don't eat enough. So my breakfast wasn't enough. Um, so I just, now there isn't enough when I've done my maths, there isn't enough. I'm in low energy availability or I've eaten a decent breakfast, but I'm going to go for rather than just an hour uh, poodle around the park, I'm going to go for a four hour really high intensity ride. So it could be that you haven't taken enough energy in or you've spent a lot of energy. One way or the other, you end up in low energy availability. What's the problem with that, you might wonder? The hormones don't like it because they're doing their best to keep you healthy, etc., like we've discussed, but they need energy to do that work. And if there is, you've got, haven't got enough energy in the tank, you're in low energy availability, something's got to give. So the body quite sensibly goes into eco mode. It's going to downregulate the hormones and to save energy. And depending on how long this low energy availability has been going on, then you're going to see a sort of cumulative uh, energy deficit and cumulative more and more hormones will be affected. I mean, if it's just like today, I just, it was a once off, it just went a little bit low because I was cycling and whatever. And then that, so of course, all the stress hormone will go up a bit, but hopefully that's not too bad. But if I do that day on day, week on week, the body's going to go more and more into eco mode, eco mode, more and more of the hormone systems are going to downregulate. And in women, the big one that's going to be downregulated, because it takes a lot of energy, is reproductive axis. So female hormones and, and periods will stop. There's lots of other ones, but that's the sort of the, the big red flag for a woman. Menstrual cycles are normal physiology. So if you don't have them, something's going on. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's something that probably yourself definitely that that is your line of work you often work with athletes who have lost their menstrual cycle and one of the things that I have seen more and more often and frequently are people coming into the PH nutrition service clients that I'm working with who have either lost their menstrual cycle or who are having irregular periods and I think sometimes maybe based on like the education we aren't aware that actually having a lack of a menstrual cycle is bad it does have its consequences and I think one of the main aims of the podcast and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on was to emphasize the importance is actually this is something we really need to focus on because as you said this is going to have a huge impact on our reproductive system if you if you don't have a menstrual cycle you cannot reproduce and I think yeah it has massive consequences for the whole aspect of your life and I know this kind of feeds into other aspects such as like a relative energy deficiency. Some people might know this or have known this as REDS as well, which is what we kind of attribute more commonly in sports specific scenarios as well. So would you mind maybe like elaborating on REDS as well and like kind of a comparison between low energy availability and REDS? So uh, just to say, just before we do that, Harriet, maybe mm -hmm. just, although I called it the reproductive axis, that's doing female hormones a massive disservice. The evolution point of view, yeah, the female hormones obviously is for reproduction. But uh, they're not just about reproduction. They're about many aspects of your health. Mental health, important. Bone health, gut health, uh, lots of other things. So if you're an athlete listening to this and thinking, well, it doesn't bother me. I actually don't want to get pregnant. So what's the big deal? I don't care. Uh, then actually think again, because these hormones are important for other aspects of health and your performance. So um, just to emphasize that bit. And so what's the link between low energy availability and REDS? So we've, I think we've discussed what low energy availability is. We get that. Uh, but then REDS, a relative energy deficiency in sport, that um, is a syndrome. So in a collection of symptoms, but it's all due to the low energy availability etiology as we say in you know, uh, scientific terms so you have low energy availability and then it's like well so what the so what is that all your hormones down regulate well gradually more and more and that therefore you're going to experience symptoms okay and these are all the whole list in relative in in reds so women yes your menstrual cycles will be disrupted okay so there will be other hormone systems that will be affected your met the hormones, the thyroid hormones controlling your metabolic rate will be messed up. Your growth hormone, by the way, will be messed up. Growth hormone is an important one for making muscles, as we mentioned earlier. 
So lots of hormones will be messed up, dysregulated. That is what REDS is, and you will experience the symptoms of that. You'll feel fatigued. Your periods will become a regular all stop. You will have gastrointestinal issues. You might even you get more injuries, soft tissue and bone stress injuries. You see, so REDS describes all the consequences of low energy availability. So that's how the two are linked. Definitely. And I think that's a really interesting point. Obviously, you've got the hormonal aspect of it, but you've also got all of those other kind of consequences, signs and symptoms. And I think when we conducted the master study and we did the three different phases, one of which was the questionnaire, it was so interesting to see some of the answers we received in comparison to having a a menstrual cycle and not having a menstrual cycle. And uh, really seeing the behavioral differences in terms of their thoughts and feelings towards themselves their energy intake, but also, yeah, how they felt mentally. And some some of them did match up, some of them didn't. And I think there's this is where it's like can be such a gray area in terms of like how we how we diagnose reds and low energy availability. And I know this is something that you are extremely kind of like passionate about and you have been doing a lot of research on. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit about the research you've been doing, like what the aims of your research are in regards to future health and performance for females and further afield? I think that for anything, the main priority, the priority should be prevention. By the time an athlete or dancer comes to me and they're hobbling in with a stress fracture, they've got disturbed sleep. They're just feeling really down. They just can't perform. That makes me sad every single time because I think if only this could have, the warning signs could have been picked up earlier, then we wouldn't be in this, this situation, this hole. You wouldn't have reds. So the, so we need to try and pick up those warning signs and the questionnaire is a good starting point. So you're asking people for some clues about their behaviors. Because the hormones will follow after the behaviours. So the behaviours, the thought processes are the, the starting point, which might lead you to low energy availability, which will lead you to reds. So we need to try and nip it in the bud, get in there early. And also the fascinating thing about that questionnaire and the other fascinating thing I found is that how you think affects your hormones. Now, isn't that, that just is mind blowing to me. So if you are feeling stressed, if you're feeling under pressure, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I need to lose weight. I must uh, restrict what I'm eating. I want to be a better shape. If you're, you feel anxious about that, you may not even follow through. You might not. If you're just feeling anxious about that, then your hormones will be adversely affected. So that's why it's very important in the questionnaire that we used in, in your study, Harriet, that asking those triggers, those psychological factors, because then already you've identified someone who is potentially at risk. If you just leave them to their own devices and they follow through with those thoughts, with behaviours, they will end up in reds, for sure. But if you can pick up those warning signs earlier, and then you can go and speak to the the athlete, the dancer, and say, well, look, actually, uh, you know, stressing about this isn't going to help, and you explain then that's really important and much better to do that because once you are in a situation of low energy availability and you've got reds, it's going to affect your thought processes because your brain is one of the most energy hungry organs in the body. It needs 20% of your energy. So you're not being able, going to be it. Once you're there, it's actually quite difficult to get out of that rut. I remember I mentioned that I felt very stubborn when I was in that situation simply because your brain is just like, can't cope. Okay. So that's why prevention is key and questionnaires, inexpensive, you know, straightforward um, and a really, really good starting point. Are there any populations that are particularly at greater risk of REDS and low energy availability? Well, endurance sports, because you're just training a lot. So it's actually physically difficult. So unintentionally, the athlete might end up in low energy availability. But also endurance sports, well, basically any, anything against gravity, which pretty much goes everything, doesn't it? So, you know, uh, climbing, road cycling, long distance running. So most sports where gravity is involved because it's true. 
on a very basic physics level. You know, to go up a hill, if you're lighter, is going to be a bit easier. But then it's that fine balance. If you then become too lightweight, your hormones are going to downregulate, etc. You won't you won't be able to get up the hill at all, right? So that's it. So it's it's any any of these sports, um, endurance sports or weight restricted sometimes sports like boxing and all these things that you weigh in for. Also, the other big group are aesthetic sports, so diving, rhythmic gymnastics, where actually how you look. Know, is kind of marked. But again, it's a, the case of taking it to extremes. And although it's red, relative energy deficiency in sport, there's also red D, we want to call it, in dancers. It's not a sport unless you're a ballroom dancer and getting scored. You know, alley dancers, it's not, it's not a sport, but it's definitely got an athletic demand to it and an aesthetic demand to it. So, you know, all, so really when we when all said and done, it's pretty much any sport. It's quite pretty much all sports, really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, there isn't one where it's not. But I think the main thing is to say also, Harry, at this point, that it can be unintentional. So it might not have that psychological element we've spoken about. It may be that the athlete just simply does not realize that they need so much more energy being doing the training sessions. Or it's just difficult. If you're on a four-hour bike ride, you're going to have to have all your bottle cages filled up, all your back pocket pockets filled with stuff. What happens if you just hadn't realized that or you, something had fallen out, you forget to put it in? Or I don't know, something like this. So it could just be simply a mistake. And lots of uh, athletes don't realize that they just think of the energy expenditure for the training session. So for swimming, all right? But what, how did you get there? If you cycled there and back, that's actually also going to take energy. So it could be just a miscalculation. And that is more straightforward to help the person because it hasn't got the psychological overlay. It was just a, a training. It was just an error, if you, if you will. But the ones uh, where there is that psychological dimension that they think they can, uh, they can win the gold medal if they're super light and, and cycle fast up the hill or whatever it is, where they are in, you know, the intention there is to restrict and lose weight or change body shape. That's a little bit more problematic for the reasons we've, we've discussed. Yeah, of course. I think that's, yeah, again, a really interesting point, how it can be intentional and unintentional. I certainly have experienced that with clients myself. And as you've mentioned, it's a lot easier to help guide and support them if they are doing it unintentionally compared to intentionally. Um, and I think that's something we can discuss a little bit later in regards to practical tips and guidance. Uh, circling back onto your study, so obviously... You know, you've mentioned that preventative strategy is the most important thing. And I 100% agree with that. You've mentioned things like the questionnaire, which is kind of looking at behavioral factors, even like physical factors such as stress factors, which is what, something that we recorded. What other measures have you used in previous studies to help, uh, you know, develop our knowledge of REDS? And, you know, why are they so helpful to use alongside the questionnaire? Um, other things, I mean, we should say that REDS, it's what we say, it, we call it a diagnosis of exclusion. So that means there are other reasons why a woman's periods might stop, for example. Medical reason. R less common, for, well, actually, when I say less common, pregnancy would be one. Uh, also, there are some medical conditions, prolactinoma, as we call it, where the prolactin goes very high and switches off the periods. So, uh, you know, diagnosis of exclusion. It's obligatory to do some blood tests just to make sure there isn't something else going on, okay? There isn't a medical condition that you need to treat as the priority. To be honest, I I have seen a few situations like that. Um, it's it's not common, but it would be not correct not to take that into account. So make sure there's nothing else going on is the first thing to say. And then again, we're talking about you know picking up early. You know, blood tests can also give you clues as to, well, it's sort of teetering. It's on, on the borderline. This woman's periods might stop. Or actually, this thi these thyroid function tests, the, those hormones are looking like they're low, like the metabolic rate is slowing down. So you might be able to get any clues from the blood tests, definitely to exclude things and also just to get a clue where, where are we, what's going on. 
Also, another test that is quite useful is what's called DEXA scan, where you're looking at the bone health, the bone mineral density measurement. And that can give you, even if the person hasn't had a stress fracture, if you, if so far everything is adding up, it's looking like you've got your, you've done your detective work, you've done the questionnaire, you've done some blood tests, you've spoken to the person, probably the most important we should say, and you just get a feel for, ah, oh, I think this is, you know, pretty much reds. So just teetering with low energy availability and it might flip over very soon into having symptoms and problems. Then the DEXA scan, you can see what's, what's look, what the bone health is looking like. And there's actually a set criteria set by the IOC, International Olympic Committee, where you look at the bone health. And if it's, you know, lower than you would expect for the age, then actually that's another bit of information uh, to alert the athlete and try and support them and help them. Great. No, thank you so much. That's uh, really useful information. And I wanted to bring up something that we spoke about, and it's something that, you know, we always like tested within the master's study that I did, female hormone profiling. So could you tell individuals a little bit about what that term means and, you know, how it works in regards to the conditions and the symptoms of REDS as well? Is it beneficial? What is it like? Is it something we can use to help I think it's, you know, any tools we have, it's useful. So the logic tells you there must be an in-between stage between having regular cycles, hormones all fine, doing their normal fluctuations fine, and then the periods stop. So there's something in between, which is which are called subclinical anovulatory cycles. In other words, the athlete is saying, I'm having cycles, I'm having periods, I'm having bleeds, uh, uh, menstruation, but the hormones aren't doing their full repertoire so they're not there the ovulation isn't occurring so that's why it's called subclinical anovulatory cycles so you just by the person saying i'm having menstruation subclinically underneath the surface that won't be obvious they're not ovulating and that could be an early warning sign that something is amiss so that was the gist of uh, having a look in more detail at the hormones uh, rather than just doing one test and, and then that's it. And the person saying they're having cycles. So look, get the more detail you can get, the better. If it is, is the bottom line. Data is key. Mm-hmm. Of course. No, that's really interesting. It's, I guess, what, what do you feel with, you know, AI technology and hormone, hormone profiling at the moment is still quite limited. What do you feel is the kind of common, current problems and challenges we face within the sports industry to help individuals either prevent or be diagnosed with such conditions or syndromes? Well, I suppose not everyone is going to have access to fancy stuff. So so we have to be honest, but, you know, even the questionnaire, uh, you know, that we used and developed, I mean, it's it, it's low cost it's free so yes we could definitely put that out more but otherwise i think it goes back to you know the fundamentals of clinical practice in whatever the main thing is listening to the person asking them questions so getting to know them asking them you know how you're feeling what's going on and getting that detail asking them about their nutrition patterns because then it might all become obvious and you you know, uh, so I think, I think that's the most important thing. Accessibility. People won't always have access to even a blood test at all. Although that's very important, like we said. But just if you are an athlete listening to this and you're worried and you're thinking, well, actually, I'm wondering, then the most important thing is to seek out someone who knows something about this and tell them what's going on for you. And equally ask me as a doctor and, you know, uh, you as nutritionists, uh, you know, ask people those key questions and, and, and just find out the information because that, that costs no money. That's accessible. Finding out about the person. That's why I quite like. That's actually one of the aspects I like most about my job being a doctor because you just get to people. I'm curious. I want to speak to people and find out what's going on because that really is the most important thing we can do. Yeah, of course. I think that's a really nice summary of, of the help or the people that we can go to to help. I think, you know, for from my own experience as well, you know, 
rent was definitely something I experienced when I was competing as a gymnast and I felt very lost and again like uneducated and even unaware of the fact of what was going on but I had no menstrual cycle and I just didn't didn't understand that something was going on uh, so to hear that there is there are facilities there there is accessibility out there but it can be a little bit problematic it's something I still feel like the field has something to work towards but as you said there are things such as the questionnaire which I actually would love to see become more standardized within clinical practice, but also in sporting practice. It should be. I think when you onboard an athlete or, you know, whenever you come to a gym, there should be almost like a part two form that they have to fill out. You should, as females, you know, obviously it's, I think it could be, it doesn't have to be compulsory, but very much push the fact that maybe you should do this. And if it shows any signs of risk of reds, then could we refer them onto their GP or, you know, wherever they need to go? I think that would be a very key and good thing to see in the future. I think also, so you're saying here, you know, education is key, information. So the other thing to highlight is I think, yeah, the questionnaire, absolutely. Harriet, over to you. Let's do it. Um, The automated, the, you know, mark scoring of it, like we discussed. So absolutely that. But also I should also mention that I've written a be- website for Bayesian, which is Association of Sports and Exercise Medicine, called health4performance.co.uk. And by the way, health yeah. for performance, that pretty much sums it up. So that is a website, uh, you know, talking about education, information, you know, even with the best will in the world, we can't get out to everybody out there. But a website, you know, internet, is accessible to everybody anywhere in the world. And the website is written... I wrote it in sections for the athlete, for the coach, for the parent, and for the healthcare professional. It's the same information, but it's just twisted and, you know, just a different slant angle to it. Because having that information, and also in a non-threatening way, I know, we know, if someone confronts you and said, oh, hey, if something's wrong, you, you know, you're like, well, you, you could be in denial, right? But actually a website is like, oh, well, I think actually this could be an insult website of interest to you and then the person can go and look at that in their own time and calmly and reflect and think well actually there is something there so that's a very uh, useful resource but also you're talking about the culture because yeah gymnastics i know for example there exactly so but in general in sport this thing even now even today athletes come and say oh but my coach said it was okay not to have periods or all my, all my teammates don't have periods. Just because something is common, and even the GP it said it's, it's, it's okay. Just because something is common doesn't mean it's healthy. There's a massive explosion in obesity at the other end of the spectrum, obesity and type 2 diabetes. We don't just suddenly turn around and say, oh, well, that's, that's, that's okay because there's lots more of it. So the same thing for female athletes, distress again. Having a menstrual cycle is normal physiology. It's your free monthly health check right there. If it stops, if your period stops and you're not pregnant, then, you know, that's a, your body is trying to tell you something. Waving a big red flag saying, help, help, there's something not right. So, you know, really pay attention to that uh, and, and don't accept uh, that whoever tells you, even your GP, dare I say, Anybody that says it's normal for a woman's periods to stop, see someone else because that's not the correct information, right? So, so true. Yeah. And I think probably actually there have been a lot of people to experience that. I think one of the interesting points that I came across I was doing my, my research was that I think it was two thirds of coaches had no awareness of low energy availability and reds. But also within that, some of them would factor their performance as superior over the athlete's health, which I think is really sad. And again, certainly something needs to be done on a more international level, on a focus. But when it comes to individuals who are just training by themselves in the gym, as you said, becoming aware of your menstrual cycle, I think something that I advocate a lot for all the females I work with is tracking. Track your menstrual cycle. It's amazing how many females don't currently track. But as you said, it's such a good measure of your menstrual cycle. It doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, I know there are so many apps out there. I mean, I even made one actually for my dancers. But so, uh, you know, I think sometimes you can think, oh, gosh, all this stuff. But do you know what? Something old fashioned, 
I mean, okay, I'm very old, but you know, a pen and paper or just in your own, uh, on your phone, on your calendar, just put a cross or click or whatever it is when your period starts. And then you'll see. And then it's like, oh gosh, that's over. That's gone way over now. Then you will notice. But if you don't record it somewhere, it's very, very easy to lose track of what's going on. So, you know, uh, your pre-monthly medical health check, as I keep saying, uh, that's, uh, you know, use it. Why not? Uh, and also then you can become more familiar with your own, how you feel during your cycle. If you are having periods, then, you know, you'll get, you, well, you get to understand your body more. What can I say? Everyone, everyone is individual, so it won't be the same as somebody else. So why not use that? information to your advantage but definitely there's a lot more going back to all the culture stuff and listen to be fair some coaches are excellent I work with some coaches and they are actually really really on the ball and they will contact me and say I'm worried about this athlete her periods has stopped and I'm worried you know so there are some coaches there who are really on it but there are some of the old school ones who aren't on it all right so it's up to you as an athlete also, you know, uh, to surround yourself by people that, you know, are going to help you and support you and understand and up to date. Or if you really like a coach and they are frankly a little bit out of touch, then you can say to them, hey, look, I found this interesting website. And again, that's not saying to the coach, hey, you don't know anything. You can say, oh, look, this association of sports and exercise medicine website, that looks really good, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you, there are things. So you, so you can do the education yourself. Yeah, of course. I think it's about finding where it is. And I think people like ourselves are promoting it, but we need more people out there. We need more people emphasizing the importance of hormones, of health, on performance as well. Um, but I do think that this is slowly coming to light a lot more. And, uh, you know, I really hope to see some positive changes in the future. Actually, if I can just say one thing about that performance, the thing is, it's false gold, as I call it. I know myself, because when you first, you oh, know, lose weight and your period stops there will be a moment when your body is actually you feel amazing you do feel you're but you're, you're running on fumes as they say right you know and you might get some good performances right but don't kid yourself that won't continue there will be a point when the body just says no i can't and then you get your stress fracture and etc so I think that's the other thing when you mentioned, oh, but the performance is okay. And certainly coaches do have responsibility. They should be aware that this is just a temporary thing. And so they shouldn't show favor or verbal or nonverbal to encouraging the thinnest athlete or whatever, you know? Uh, I mean, thinnest, I mean, some people are naturally slim, I know, but the athlete who's lost weight, whose periods are stopped, actually, you know, you should be rather than praising them effectively you should be supporting them and saying actually warning them of this that this is a, a temp uh, it's a honeymoon period right um, it will catch up with you and we've had many examples of this you know we clay the runner uh, who was doing amazingly and then her career stress fractures you know what i mean so th this does happen we have evidence that this does happen so just to be aware when you're listening to this it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not sure that, the, you know, all this podcast stuff about reds, I'm not sure that's, but uh, please be aware. Um, you know, the wheels will come off at some point if you continue like that. The body just can't cope. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And as you said, like building that awareness and just making sure that our listeners are aware that although you might think you're okay, it's still very important. Just be aware of what's going on in the back at all times. I guess that, that brings us on nicely kind of just Concluding the podcast a little bit, but just providing maybe our listeners with either a recap of some of the things we've already discussed. But one of the questions I would like to leave with our listeners and for them to think about, and I know we have spoken about it already, but what kind of practical tips and guidance, first of all, could you give to listeners if they feel they are at risk and either want help, have accessibility to help, or perhaps don't have the accessibility? I think just doing a, a, sort of a check on everything. The things under your control are nutrition, your training load, and your sleep. So first thing, and I'm going to pass over to you, Harriet, to do the details of the nutrition, but the basic, the most fundamental thing is, it sounds very obvious, eat enough, <laughs> in the sense that, and also it's the regularity of it. So three meals a day, 
with decent portion of complex carbohydrate and protein, that is, that's it. And then if you're fueling around training, never train fasted. Female hormones do not like that at all. So always never do fasted training. That might mean that you've, you've had your breakfast and then you train. Or if it's a long time since your last meal, you need, you will need a, a, a snack, complex carbohydrate. And then the other sort of golden rule is refuel within 20 minutes of stopping your training. If you're lucky enough that you're going to be sitting down straight away to your meal, brilliant. But for most of us, it's going to take some time to travel back from the training, have a shower. And so it's going to be more than 20 minutes. So in that case, be prepared. Have your banana smoothie, have your flavored chocolate milk and your banana in your hand or whatever it is. So the nutrition thing, just look at it. Is it consistent? Are you avoiding energy gaps during the day? The other thing is training loads, periodized training. Don't, don't train like a, a banshee every single day. Your body responds to change. If you give it the same look every single day, it won't adapt. It won't change. So you must have a total rest day. Maybe a few stretches, you know. I, this active recovery, I had an athlete who was a climber and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I do have a rest day. I go for a 10K run on that day. It's like, what? So when I say rest, I mean rest, just to be absolutely clear on it. And also light and shade. Some days will be more intense. Some days will be a bit easier, all those sorts of things in general terms for your uh, training load. And then, of course, uh, sleep. In, the, in my book, I quote Macbeth, sleep is the chief nourisher in life's great feast. Precisely. Because guess when you're, the adaptive changes are happening? Not while you're actually doing the exercise, it's actually when you're asleep. So sleep quantity, quantity, all that sort of thing. Don't skimp on sleep, right? That's really, really important. Have a nice regular, it's all about regularity because your hormones have their own internal biological clocks ticking away. So you've got to try and get in sync with those. If you're trying to go against them, it's not going to end up well. So those are the three areas that people, I think, can look at. And those are the things I describe in, uh, in the book that I've written. Am I allowed to talk about my book now? <laughs> Go for it, Nikki. Okay. I've been waiting. <laughs> okay. So, the, so for more information, I've just written a book which will be published on the 28th of October, and it's called Hormones, Health, and Human Potential. Okay. So it's a guide to understanding it will go into what we've spoken, but even more in more detail as according to your age and all sorts of things like this. So, you know, you going back to the very beginning of the conversation, hormones set in motion your path to health and performance. You want to harness them to do that so you can reach your potential, whatever that might be. It's going to be different for people, but whatever you want to get out of life or training, you know, you've got to uh, try and harness your hormones through those three behaviors that you have under your control. It's not expensive. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh gosh, I can't do that. That's cost too much money. All right. I don't know what to do. You know, these are the things you have under your control and, you know, uh, to get the most out of your body effectively, I suppose I'm saying. So please, uh, the book is it's available on pre-order at the minute, 20% discount with the Brilliant. code Nikki. So there you go. N-I-C-K-Y. <laughs> and also we're holding some free discussion events uh, around the themes and topics in the book. First one is Cambridge, 6th of November. Uh, maybe, Harriet, you can put some the show notes or something like that. So there's the 6th of November. We've still got some room there because we've got a very big lecture theatre. There's UCL, where Harriet and, and colleagues will be doing a little presentation on the work. So please come to that. I think at the moment it is full, but, you know, there might be some shifts. So keep looking uh, there if you really want to come to the UCL one. And then the final one, uh, so that's on the 9th of November. And then the final one is the 21st of November at the Rafa Cycling Club in town. And I've got Chrissy Wellington, Iron Man, coming to join the conversation. And I think they have just released more tickets for that. So if you can come to any of those, please, it's free. Right? Yes. Talking about accessibility. So that's also, you know, and it, it's going to be a discussion. Okay. A bit like this uh, with whoever my guests are on, on the day. And also, of course, questions from the audience. So come armed with your questions. And yeah, that'll be great. I love that. It's so great that you have provided these opportunities. As you said, they're free. And like the fact that it's an open discussion, I think a lot of people can kind of hold back a little bit and be like, oh, it's going to be all sciencey. It's going to be like a lecture. No, it's going to be giving you practical guidance and tips exactly as we've just done on the podcast mm -hmm. today. So I think you've actually wrapped up our podcast very well, Nikki. That thank, thank you, you very much. <laughs> 
Well, I do just want to say thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I hope that the listeners here, whether they be athletes, whether they be the practitioners themselves, have found this information invaluable. Before we head off, could you please just let the, know, the followers know where they can find you? And if they did want to work with you, they feel that they, you know, they need some support. Uh, can, can you help them with that? And, and where can they find you? Sure. So I've got my own website. website. Uh, Nikki K Fitness. So N-I-C-K-Y-K-K-E-A-Y Fitness. Nikki K Fitness. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, you. exactly. So that's my website. I put blogs on there. Uh, I do offer advisory appointments. Um, so have a look about the details of those. And then there's a contact form. Um, so just, um, you know, if you want to come and see me and discuss, then just send me a message. I don't like that booking online thing because I, I frankly want to know a little bit about you first. <laughs> All right. You know, just, just like what, how old are you and what you're doing, et cetera. So you can definitely, so look on my website. It's, as I say, got lots of information there and about the events we mentioned. And if you wanted to work with me, whether you are a practitioner and wants some medical input or if you're an athlete and actually you just want to, you know, coming, let's get the medical stuff done. Let's, let's look at the bloods. Let's discuss. Let's see what's going on. Uh, yeah. So that's probably the best place to find me. Brilliant. Thank you. And I'll, as I said, include that within the notes if anyone would like those links. In regards to pH nutrition, obviously Nikki's spoken about all the kind of controllable factors that we can consider. One of those is nutrition, which is exactly what we do. So if you are looking for any nutritional advice, we offer one-off consultations as well as athlete one-to-one nutrition coaching. And we also run our sick program. So if you'd like to check them out, please visit phnutrition.co.uk or find us at phnutrition on Instagram and other social platforms. But I would just like to say thank you so much again, Nikki, for coming on today and having this amazing discussion. I hope that everyone has found this extremely valuable. And yes, I look forward to seeing future research brings to female health and performance. Thank you very much, Nikki. And I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their day. Cool. Nice one. 